So yeah, one of the pastors here at Tallgrass at the Well. I'm excited to be with you all in person. It was fun to be on Zoom, Facebook Live last week. Uh, yeah, we were hit kind of hard as a community with, with the COVID. So uh, me, myself, I'm fully vaxxed and boosted, yet yeah, I was one of those breakthroughs. So I, uh, yeah, I'm trying to get my energy back. Um, any, any issues that we face today, I just blame it on the COVID brain. So we kind of were in that season, right? So uh, Chiefs kickoff is what time? All right, so we got a little bit of time here, guys. Um, obligatory pastor joke. Uh, I'm so thankful for, for Emma Highfield. Uh, give it up for her first, first time. So uh, first time someone besides our uh, previous uh, worship pastor, Brandon, or myself or Dave have led the band. So Emma and also Edward Tuttle have been working hard. I'm excited for the teams that are beginning to really develop and come into their own. So I'm very grateful to be a part of this, this uh, Tallgrass at the Well team. So I love our team. I, I'm, I'm thankful. As of January 1, uh, we continue to zip up uh, this merger. So our finances are combined, as you've learned. We're, we're going to be this year in a revisioning process and discerning kind of what is this thing called long-term, uh, really hearing from Christ about who we are as a community and what, what's ahead. So um, We've accomplished a lot over these last 10 months, so there's a lot to be grateful for. So I think you're just sitting in gratitude for the church community that we have and that we are able to invite our neighbors, people we care about, into. So our desire is really to, to grow deep, to grow deep as primary, and then over time to grow wide as well. So the purpose of Tallgrass at the Well is to create community together by inviting everyone into the way of Jesus, into the way of Jesus. So we're in a series where we're looking at the way of Jesus and really thinking about spiritual rhythms in Mark's gospel. So how did Jesus walk through life? What practices did he incorporate in his life to be a human who flourished, who was all that he could be? So today's uh, rhythm is scripture. So you can think of it as scripture reading, scripture study, but, but even more than that, scripture as a means to connect with Christ himself. So we'll be in Mark 4. Uh, if you have a, who has a hard copy of the scriptures? I just would love to see those raised. We give it up for Vicki and for Kate. People aren't so enthusiastic. Who, who has a phone with over a thousand translations of the scripture in their pocket. All right, give it up for the digital age. First time I'm preaching from a tablet, thanks to the Better Together experimentation, I found this in a, in a cupboard back there, and so uh, hopefully I'll be killing less trees while uh, navigating all this technology. So, all right, we're in Mark 4. Mark chapter 4, it says this. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him, it was so large that he got into a boat and he sat in it out on the lake. So imagine that. Just imagine yourself there. Jesus pushes out into the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, leaning forward. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching, he said, listen, Man, I wish that I knew what the voice of Jesus sounded like as it went from that boat a 
across the water to the ears of those people leaning at the water's edge. Jesus says, listen, let me pray for us. Father, we are starved for the voice of Jesus. I don't even know if we're in touch with how famished we are, how much we need your words, the words of your son Jesus, your scripture to feed us. Lord, I pray this morning you would give us a hungry heart. Give us a soft heart. Give us a heart that the words of Christ can plant seeds into that would grow deep and over time would bear fruit. Father, your son says, listen. We are hurried, we are distracted. Our lives are loud, chaotic, noisy. God, I pray that we would hear the voice of your son even this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So Jesus says to this crowd, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Famous parable of Jesus. Many of you have probably heard this, familiar with it. As a farmer was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. You can just imagine that. The birds came and they ate it up. Some fell on rocky places. Didn't have much soil. So, of course, it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came out, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and over time choked the plants so they did not bear grain. Still, other seed fell on good soil. That soil, uh, that seed grew up, produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some a hundred times. That's the parable. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. If you've had a, a, a child or you've, been, you've had nieces, nephews, when they're growing, you say, hey, point to your ears, right? That's developmentally. So I'm going to have you all point to your ears, right? Two ears. You might have to clean them out a little bit. I do that regularly. <laughs> Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So how is your hearing this morning? Do you have ears to hear the words of Jesus? So apparently, that, that's, that's all that Jesus said. Uh, or, or at least he didn't elaborate. He didn't elaborate on these words. He just, the people are leaning forward to listen to the words of Jesus, and this is what he says. And the passage goes on and says, when he was alone... The 12 and the others around him, so a smaller group, they asked him about the parables. They were like, what is going on? What are you talking about? 
What do you mean? They're trying to understand the way of Jesus. They're trying to keep up with Jesus and understand what he is doing. And he told them this. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. That does not sound like the Jesus I know. That sounds like specifically insider-outsider language. Jesus intentionally obscuring his message. Is that what's happening here? Obfuscating his message for you word people out there, for people that want to be a part of the kingdom, but he doesn't want them in there. He says, otherwise they're going to churn and be forgiven. Doesn't Jesus want everyone to turn to him and experience forgiveness and relationship with him? So this is disruptive uh, language used here in, in Mark. Thankfully, we have in the Gospel of Matthew a little more commentary from Jesus on what he means here. So we're going to turn to Matthew digitally, most of you. So Matthew goes into more depth in the recounting of this specific instance with this parable. Matthew says, in them, in these people, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah from chapter 6. You'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Later uh, in Acts, we actually read after Jesus has died and rose again, and the, and the message is going forth through Stephen, um, he says to the, the, the religious people who have ears, but not ears to hear, they have eyes, but not eyes to see. He actually says to them, you stiff-necked people. Anyone have a stiff neck? You know, it needs to be adjusted. You turn too quick and it's, it's, it's not there. He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and your ears are uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors, the people read about in the Old Testament. You resist the Holy Spirit. So then the people, the members of the Sanhedrin, the religious leadership, they get upset at Jesus or at uh, Stephen. They're furious and they gnash their te teeth. And then it says, and this is in Acts 7, if you want to read this story, Acts 7, 57, they cover their ears. Literally, the religious people are covering their ears and they're yelling at the top of their voices. Let's all do that in three, two, no, let's not do that. <laughs> They're literally rushing at Stephen and they drag him out of the city to stone him because they did not have ears to hear. Their hearts had become callous. They had closed their eyes. Can you imagine driving down the road, life or death situation and just closing your eyes? That's what these deeply religious people were doing when God was trying to speak with them. Matthew goes on, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their hearts, understand, or hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, in turn, and I would heal them. So here's the thing we need to think about. The people's heart has become calloused. Calloused hearts, not a good thing. Callousness occurs when you do something repetitively over time. God is constantly reaching out and there's unresponsiveness to his word 
over and over and over and over again. God's heart is always that we would turn to him and be healed, turn to him and be forgiven, turn to him in relationship. But our hearts become calloused when through repetition, we constantly uh, harden ourselves to the word of God. I think about calluses. Sometimes they're useful. Calluses on the fingers when you play guitar. Who has the calluses on the fingers from guitar playing? Few of you, right? Maybe not. Jones is uh, nodding his head from playing bass. Calluses on your, on your knuckle or on your hands from lifting weights maybe. You do some bar work, some toes to bar. Who's got those calluses? I know Kate does from the rower. She's like, what's going on? I've got calluses. Well, repetition, it builds up calluses and those can be helpful. Calloused ears, I think you get this. We, get, we grow these calloused ears. If you've ever had kids and all of a sudden you're in, you're in company and people, are, eventually they're like, your son is yelling at you and you literally didn't hear it. Anyone have that experience? Like you're just doing your thing and then when someone points it out, you have grown calloused because there's just been this repetition. You've hardened yourself to have a softness towards listening to what's around you. So this, this happens. Uh, th- we make choices daily that either soften our hearts towards God and his word or callous our hearts towards God and his word. Paul talks about this in his letter to the church in Ephesus, um, where he's talking about, he says, don't live like the Gentiles. Um, The gospel is for all peoples. But he, he looks at people who were previously far from God, and he says they're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. So this is a process that happens over time, a hardening of the heart, losing sensitivity, where we're not sensitive when God is wanting to get through to us. There's some, some uh, kind of great analogies in the Old Testament, actually, that God uses. Um, Hosea 4, verses 16 God says, the Israelites, they're stubborn. They are like a stubborn heifer. How then can the Lord pasture them like lambs in a meadow? So the idea here is, you know, there's a a cow. You're trying to move them so you can't move them. They won't budge. You're pushing them. You're pulling on them. They will not budge. They are stubborn. They are set in their ways. As opposed to the lamb that is leadable. Right? The shepherd has a stick and the shepherd walks in front and shows them the green pasture, just a little nudge, and they're responsive to the voice of the shepherd. So maybe what you need to hear this morning is don't be a heifer, be a lamb. Right? And one verse later in Ephraim, uh, oh, sorry, Hosea 4.17, God says, Ephraim, so this one, one specific people group, they are joined to idols, leave him alone. Now, that, that, is, that is a scary thing for God to say, hey, they have other allegiances, don't even bother them. It's like when you're, when you're thinking about who to invite, um, you know, to go do something fun, and you, every time you've invited this person, they've always said no. Eventually, what do you do? You stop inviting them. They're not interested, so you leave them alone. 
You keep calling a friend to get together. They're never available. Eventually, you just quit calling. But as soon as that friend responds, maybe they shoot you a quick message, immediately your heart warms back up towards them. You are ready to engage. But if they're not interested over and over and over again, you stop paying attention or you stop stop bothering them. You stop pestering them. Now I want to turn and spend a little time uh, in a a prophet, um, a book of prophecy, Amos. So Amos, he lived 12 miles south of Jerusalem near Bethlehem. If you think about his life, he lived and prophesied almost 800 years before Jesus was born. And this is what Amos says, what God says through Amos. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water or a famine for toilet paper (laughs) or a famine for building materials. Yeah, that toilet paper frenzy is crazy. Or a famine for more time to get more done or a famine of the ability to taste and smell. Some of us have got a great analogy where we're losing appetite for the things that we know are good and we love, right? A famine for the ability to taste and smell or a famine for anything, you fill in the blank. Let's try to consider a famine if we can. So we live in America here, Uh, most of us, We've experienced abundance. I don't, many of us have never really known what it's like to even be hungry because we're constantly eating, right? So let's think about what might a famine feel like. So I want to read, and I don't, I don't have the quote up here so you can just listen. This is a quote from um, the book Night by Eli uh, Wiesel. Is that how you say it? Um, so this is a 1960 memoir based on his Holocaust experiences with his father in Nazi German, tra- uh, German concentration camps at Auschwitz and Buchenwald. So this is uh, 1944 to 45. So he's in a concentration camp where there's no food. So they're experiencing famine. So listen to this experience. Eli says, I saw not far from me an old man dragging himself on all fours. He had just detached himself from a struggling mob. He was holding one hand to his heart. At first I thought he had received a blow to the chest. Then I understood. He was hiding a piece of bread under his shirt. With lightning speed, he pulled it out and he put it to his mouth. His eyes lit up. A smile like a grimace illuminated his ashen face. A shadow had lain down beside him and this shadow threw itself over him. Stunned by the blows, the old man was crying, Mayor, my little mayor, don't you recognize me? You're killing your father. I have bread for you too, for you too. But then he collapsed. His fist was still clutching a small crust. The old man mumbled something, groaned, and died. Nobody cared. His son searched him. His son took the crust of bread and began to devour it. But he didn't get far either. Two men had been watching. They jumped him. 
Others joined in. When they withdrew, there were two dead bodies next to me, the father and the son. That's a gruesome picture of what can happen when famine occurs. That feels so very far from us, so very far from experiencing famine in our land. But are we really? Think about this. We've experienced a famine of nutrition that has led to crazy cancer and disease stats in our country. It's led to a lot of death. We're overfed yet undernourished, a famine of nutrition, a famine of hope that has led to staggering suicide rates in our country. Our social media feeds, they look beautiful, but on the inside, there's you know, dead people's bones, we're hurting. There's a famine of the latest gadgets and toys that have led to, think about our culture, Black Friday deaths. Think about what has, what has, has happened on Black Friday. I, I was reading this, about this a little bit, and the, the first Black Friday death that I know is recorded is, is in 2008, where a Walmart employee on Long Island trampled to death when more than 2,000 enthusiastic gift grabbers busted through the store's front door and could not be contained. That's our culture. We're hungry for something and we're not getting filled and it's resulting in all sorts of hurt and pain and death. And so it's into this culture, into our society, into our lives that the words of Amos spoken 10,000, or uh, sorry, 2,800 years ago are just as relevant today where God says the days are coming when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. A famine where there's not hearing of the words of the Lord. He goes on and says, people will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. So hunger gets people's attention. That's one of the, one of the benefits of fasting that Pastor Josh talked about a couple weeks ago is foregoing food to, to, to wake up and experience some hunger for something that you're not experiencing at the time. Years before Amos' words here, um, in Deuteronomy 8, so this is while the, the people of God, they had been freed from Egypt, and they're wandering about in the wilderness. And they're doing what is commonplace in human history, you know, grumbling, complaining against God, even as he's trying to provide for them. And God says this, um, in Deuteronomy it says this, he humbled you, God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, bread from heaven, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. Why did he do this? Why did he cause them to hunger? It's to teach them that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We desperately need to experience hunger so that we can know that we need more than food. We need more than drink. We need more than sleep, more than sex. We cannot flourish as humans and experience life 
apart from the words of God, apart from words of God that connect us to God in relationship. We're not mere humans, right, or mere animals. We, are, we, we have a soul that craves relationship with God, even if we're out of touch and our hearts are calloused to that deep craving. So hunger gets people's attention. Silence also gets people's attention. It's one of the benefits of silence and solitude that, that Pastor Josh talked about a few weeks ago. So in Amos's passage that we just read, um, where he says there's gonna be a famine for the hearing of the words of the Lord. Specifically, I think he's talking about that 400 years of silence between the Old Testament, wraps up with, with the prophet of Malachi and the New Testament, where God goes silent. That silence is intended to get the attention of the people. God holding his tongue like a father trying to get through to his kids. I'd actually love to just take 40 seconds of silence here in community. No music in the background, just silence. Silence is, is in a way an endangered species in our culture. We don't have time where we're just silent and still and and. Nothing is happening, and, and through that, perhaps God, when he does speak, can cut through our hardened and calloused hearts. So I'm gonna give us uh, one full minute of silence together in community. If you, if you wanna close your eyes, you can. Just to consider the state of your own heart. Consider, is your heart soft to the word of God? to relationship with God, or is there a callousness, a stubbornness, a hardness? So one full minute of silence together here in community. job. Even with one minute of silence, you can, can feel your sensitivity to noise and what's around you. But imagine 400 years of silence. The people of God had no new messages from Lord, the Lord. And it's in that silence that Jesus is born, grows up, and begins to speak. But I want to read um, a gospel proclamation that came before Jesus. 
And think about the people of God who had been staggering and searching for the word of God and whose hearts had grown callous. And they're there in in, um, Israel under Roman occupation. And then they hear words like this. So just listen to this. Some of you may uh, be familiar with this. Some of you may not. So you imagine someone rides in on a horse with an entourage and they unroll a scroll. And they hear these words. Whereas the providence which has guided our whole existence and which has shown such care and liberality has brought our life to the peak of perfection in giving to us Augustus Caesar, whom providence filled with virtue for the welfare of mankind, and who, being sent to us and to our descendants as a savior, has put an end to to war and has set all things in order, and whereas, having become visible, and whereas, finally, that the birthday of the God, Caesar Augustus, has been for the whole world the beginning of the gospel concerning him. Therefore, let all reckon a new era beginning from the date of his birth. This is a gospel proclamation through the Roman Empire declaring the birth of, in their eyes, a a God, a king, Caesar Augustus. He promised peace, he promised hope, but he couldn't follow through on those promises, right? But when that proclamation came, everything in the lives of those who heard that changed. Their allegiances totally changed. Now they're to submit to Caesar Augustus, who lived, uh, who reigned between 27 BC and 14 AD. So this is a guy in charge when Jesus was born. When Jesus grows up, when Jesus begins to speak about a new gospel, a new gospel proclamation. Back to our passage, Mark 4, where Jesus gives uh, an explanation of this parable. Pretty, pretty rare. We usually don't get Jesus uh, explaining exactly what the parable means. He said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. The farmer spreads this gospel proclamation, spreads this good news about Jesus himself. So you guys have your phones, right? Think about the access to the word of God that you hold in your hand right here. This is is crazy, the access that we have to the word of God right now. If you think about Jesus who is saying these words, speaking about the gospel, and then eventually the, the, the rest of the New Testament is, or the New Testament is written and passed down through the years, the printing press occurs, uh, so much blood is shed to, to keep the scriptures in front of people, and now in our hand, on a single app, the Bible app, if you don't have this app downloaded, download it. Uh, Every 1.3 seconds, this app is downloaded around the world. 500 million installs as of last November. About 64 billion chapters read or listened to in 2021. 2,600 versions of Bible text in over 1,700 languages on these devices across the globe. 
But with all of that scripture engagement, that is a lot of engagement. Are people being with Jesus? Are they becoming like Jesus? Are they doing what Jesus does? So we have so much access to the words of God, but maybe we're missing hunger for the words of God. Do we know that that is needed for us to experience life? And just a side note, if you're here as a skeptic or a cynic, or even as a believer in Christ, but you struggle to, under, to understand that the Bible is true and trustworthy, quickly, three, three uh, topics for further study for you. The reliability of the scriptures as trustworthy historical documents. No time to talk about that. But the Bible is a historical document that is trustworthy when compared to any ancient text you would come across. Second, the way God has verified his word through fulfilled prophecy. Probably the, the single uh, most effective thing in, in bolstering and, and deepening my faith in these last 10 years is, is really diving into fulfilled prophecy, especially as it relates to Jesus. So I'm sure we'll list some, some resources with this teaching online. And third, the events surrounding the historical person of Jesus, specifically his death and resurrection as historical fact. Even if the Bible's not true, the resurrection of Jesus as historical fact is, it leads you straight to trusting what God has said. So just a side note there. So the farmer is sowing the seed and that seed is being sown worldwide now and it's continuing to break into languages that have not yet received the scriptures. So that is happening. But Jesus goes on to explain the parable. Some people are like that seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, they hear the word of God. They hear about Jesus. They hear the gospel proclamation. Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Major spiritual opposition to receptiveness to the, the word of God. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, they hear the word and at once they receive it with joy. Maybe you know people like this. They, they hear it, they receive it, they're excited, they get excited, they get baptized, they're pumped, but they have no root. They only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So there's a shallowness there. There's a hurry and distraction. There's trouble and persecution. So for much of the history of our country, it's actually been pretty cool to be a Christ follower. That has shifted recently and is continuing to shift where it's maybe not as cool to say you follow Jesus. So the trouble and persecution is coming and we will begin to see increasingly who is that second soil as trouble and persecution heads our way. So we want and need roots that grow deep into fertile soil. The third soil, still others like seeds sown among thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the love of money, the desires for other things come in and choke the word over time, making it unfruitful. This is a scary passage specifically for our culture. We're the most affluent, wealthy culture, society in the history of the world. And here Jesus is saying, there are those that will receive the word, but over time the love of money will squeeze it 
And they may, they may have a relationship with Jesus, but they will eventually prove to be unfruitful. It's one of the worst places you can be, where you know who Jesus is, but your allegiances are still in the world, and it's, you're, you're constantly caught between the two. It's a very tough place to be, and I, I think many of us have experienced that. But finally, the fourth soil. Others, like seed sown on good soil, they hear the word, they accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So one out of four. So I think part of what Jesus is doing here is, is trying to, to moderate our expectations. One out of four, there is a rich uh, harvest that comes over time. And the emphasis here is on the, the soil, the softness of the heart to receive the word. The, the sower's doing his job. The seed is doing its job. It's about the soil and the receptiveness to the word of God. Patience in sowing. Patience to see the fruit of the fourth soil. And that's, that's important to us as a church, Tallgrass at the Well. We, we, we're interested in that fourth soil, and it will take time to see that develop. It will take time. We want to scatter the seed broad, but we want to, we want to have soft hearts ready to receive the word and bear a harvest over time. So engagement with Scripture just to get practical here. We've been talking about apprenticeship to Jesus. Not just saying we follow Jesus, but apprenticing ourselves to Jesus. So being with Jesus. So the scriptures, part of the scriptures is to move us into relationship with Jesus. It's actually possible to read the Bible a whole lot and yet miss the whole point, which is relationship with Jesus. In fact, in John 5, 39 to 40, Jesus says to the religious leadership, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the scriptures that testify to and point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So some of us, like myself, Enneagram 1, I, I like to check boxes. I, I'm behind on my reading plan. It's driving me up the wall. I'm the kind of guy who's inclined to go and just catch up on that reading plan so I feel good about myself. I've done my religious duty. Now I'm good with God. But God's like, that's not the point. The point is relationship, being with Jesus. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. And then to be like Jesus, character development. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God, it's alive, it's active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts, it divides soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It, it, it divides our, it exposes character flaws so that we can over time become like Jesus. And finally, the scriptures uh, help us to do what Jesus does. In 2 Timothy 3, it says, all scriptures, God breathed, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we see how Jesus loved and we are to walk in his footsteps to do the things that Jesus does and scripture helps us do that. So Jesus, he knows when he speaks, the return rate on that seed is, is pretty low actually. 
But he said to his disciples, he said, but blessed are your eyes. And I wanna, I wanna speak this over our church. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. And if you're, you're sitting here and, and maybe the, the spirit has put its finger on a, a hardness of heart or a callousness and you're aware of that, I would encourage you this week, just taste and see that the Lord is good. Just respond um, in the midst of that, that hardness of heart or shallowness. Just step out and taste and see that the Lord is good. So I'm going to invite the band up as we just talk very practically. So this week's practice, um, study of Scripture. So whether you've been walking with Jesus uh, for a long time, like I have, or you don't even follow Christ, that's okay. We're so glad you're here. And I'm finding myself each week, I'm finding myself right there at the beginning. And over my last 40 years, 41 years, since coming to faith in Christ as a seven-year-old, I've been at different points where I've, I've been at the baseline, I've been at the stretch. I've, it, our, our spiritual journey is an ebb and flow. Uh, so maybe you're here and the, you need to start right at the beginning. This week, you need to start reading some scripture, maybe with just a brief silence and meditate on a single phrase. Or maybe you're ready to, to begin to establish a habit and just go on that Bible app and pick a 21-day reading plan and just begin to, to uh, take steps to, to really engage with the scripture. Maybe even choose to memorize a verse. We've done that corporately together uh, last semester where we memorized a verse together. Or maybe you're ready to read scripture daily and begin to think how can you incorporate that into our other practices, silence and solitude or fasting. Or one thing I like to do uh, to really help me slow down is to write a passage out. So I'd really encourage you, uh, that would be a great thing to incorporate in your life. So as we come to a con conclusion here, I just want to share one last story. This is from Luke 24. So Jesus comes alongside two guys after Jesus has risen from the dead, and uh, hardly anyone knows he's risen from the dead. He comes along these two guys, and they're talking about everything that's happening, and they don't recognize Jesus, and Jesus is like, what are you guys talking about? And they just, they stand there, they're sad. They say, are you the only person who doesn't know what's happened here in Jerusalem about Jesus of Nazareth? He was a prophet, he was powerful in word and deed, he healed people, he loved people, but the religious leaders, they, they sentenced him to death, they killed him. We had hoped he would be the one, but he is dead. And it's the third day now since this has happened. And they say, some of our women, they amaze us. They went to his tomb. They couldn't even find his body. They're telling us stories about visions of angels who's saying he's alive, but we went there and we couldn't find him. He's nowhere to be found. He's dead. And then Jesus says to them, you guys are foolish. You've been so slow to believe everything that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer and enter into his glory? And he begins with Moses and through all the prophets, it says Jesus explained to them how everything in Scripture was about himself. 
And so they're going on a little bit more and they say, Jesus, or uh, they don't know he's Jesus, so um, they, they encourage him to stay with them. So Jesus goes in to stay with them and they still don't know who he is, but he takes the bread and he breaks it and he gives it to them. Then their eyes are opened and they recognize, oh my goodness, this is Jesus risen from the dead. And then Jesus disappears. And this is the point here. They say, were not our hearts burning within us while Jesus talked with us on the road and opened scripture to us? You can imagine them eating that bread that Jesus had just given them and realizing Jesus is the bread of life and his scriptures point us straight to him. Let me pray for us. Father, I, I pray for everyone who hears my voice here in this room, online, or watches later, that you would give us a hunger for your word. That you give us a hunger for relationship with Jesus. That in the midst of our calloused hearts, hardened hearts, that you would help soften our hearts. I pray for any who are experiencing famine in their lives. Maybe they're starving for hope or comfort or relationship. They're starving for purpose or they, they, they're desperate for peace or they're, they're hungry for, for joy. Maybe we don't even know what we need. I pray that people would respond to the voice of Jesus as he says, listen. In the midst of our heavy hearts, in the midst of our joys and sorrows, that his voice would cut straight through and we would hear Jesus say, listen, come to me, all who are weary, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. That, Lord, we would be a people who'd be like that fourth soil, that over time we would, we would grow and we would bear fruit. The character of Jesus, but also fruit that would last others coming into the fold and being those lambs that would be led by you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you've not given up on us, that you're so patient with us, and that you continue to speak to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This teaching was recorded by Tallgrass at the Well. We're building community together by inviting people into the way of Jesus. For more resources like this, visit tallgrassatthewell.church.